Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapinia. Hey, Kit. Hey, Jason. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Jason, I know we've got another great conversation coming up with a couple of guests this week. Who are you speaking with? We're speaking with Rachel Moriarty and Jared Spears. They work with the Schumacher Center for New Economics in Western Massachusetts. They're going to be talking with us about the legacy of E.F. Schumacher, the great Catholic economist and social thinker, and some of the ways in which they're applying his wit and wisdom to the local economy in Western Massachusetts today. That's great. Yeah, definitely some big, hopefully transformative ideas out there. So I will be back at the end of the program with this week's action item. I'm now joined on the Bridge Builder by Rachel Moriarty and Jared Spears. Rachel is the Director of Operations at the Schumacher Center for a New Economics. She helps implement the Schumacher Center's practical applications of new economic thinking in the Berkshire region of Western Massachusetts. As the Program Administrator of Berkshires, Inc., Rachel oversees operations of that organization's local currency program and conducts various initiatives, including the Berkshire's Business of the Month series. She received her bachelor's degree in sustainable food and farming from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and she serves on the board of Berkshire Agricultural Ventures. In 2019, she was named Local Economy Booster by the Southern Berkshire Chamber of Commerce and was selected as a finalist in the Under 40 Changemaker category of the One Berkshire Trendsetter Awards. Jared Spears is the Director of Communications and Resources at the Schumacher Center. He's a writer and communication strategist interested in cultural and economic transformation. And he's committed to working in ways that advance collective solutions to the climate and ecological crisis. He joined the Schumacher Center in 2021 and earned his master's degree in cultural and critical studies from the University of Westminster in London in 2020. Rachel and Jared, great to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Bridge Builder Program today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to join you. Tell us about the Schumacher Center for a New Economics and what the aims of the organization are. So the Schumacher Center for New Economics was founded in 1980 by Susan Witt and Bob Swan, and is of course named for the great economist E.F. Schumacher, who wrote the book Small is Beautiful. And fun fact, Small is Beautiful will actually be celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2023. So we have a lot of exciting events and plans in store. Excellent. For the listeners who aren't aware, who is E.F. Schumacher and why does he still matter today? You just mentioned his book was published 50 years ago. Well, in, in our day and age in which if something five years ago now, it seems dated, what, what relevance is a book by a British economist from 50 years ago? Well, I suppose he was German, but then worked for the British government. You know, what relevance does E.F. Schumacher have today? Who is he? As you mentioned, he was born in Germany and uh, moved to the UK, where he uh, studied at Oxford and trained as a statistician and an economist. Um, He wrote several works, and I think basically he's still known and relevant today for advancing proposals for a human scale, a more decentralized economy, in his words, an economy as if people mattered, and also in thinking about appropriate technology and the impact of modern technologies Uh, since the time that he was writing in the 60s and 70s on our wider sort of structures and the way that we govern ourselves and uh, our economic systems. So his work was pretty varied. He worked as an economic advisor for the National Coal Board in the UK. He spent time in Burma 
which is where he generated or learned some of his insights into what he first called Buddhist economics, but generally in basically rethinking political economy for a more just and, and a more uh, sustainable or regenerative uh, economic system. And Schumacher was a convert to the Catholic faith, which is what we want to mention for some listeners who might think, well, why are we talking about this guy? But a convert to the Catholic faith, he joked about that chapter, Buddhist economics, which is, you know, changed a lot of people's thinking. I've run into a lot of people who that little chapter in Small is Beautiful has sort of reoriented them in the way they think about political economy and economics generally. But he joked that he would have called it Christian economics, but no one would have paid attention to him if he had. So <laughs> um, always yeah. a, a fun, fun little tidbit about Schumacher there. I would, I would say that his work speaks in an interfaith context. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, you know, he grew up in sort of an agnostic environment, but later was really interested in Buddhism for its spiritual and ethical tradition. We hold a collection of his personal library and every spiritual tradition, you know, major recognized tradition within the world, he had books um, and I think was really just intellectually curious about those kind of deeper, higher questions related to faith and ethics. But as you mentioned, you know, in the 70s, he did convert to Catholicism. Small is Beautiful is a book which it was published in 1973, but a lot of the essays, you know, everything that was written within that book was published previously in the 60s. But some of his later work does more explicitly sort of acknowledge and and come from a place of Christian teaching and thinking about political economy from the perspective of the gospel. I'm a big fan of Schumacher and even Guide for the Perplexed is a fascinating philosophical work. Though so that chapter, Buddhist economics, could have been taken out of a Catholic social teaching textbook. And that just shows that oftentimes we have more in common than there is that divides us. And the great spiritual traditions can be brought together a certain area around ethical norms. And in this case, related to economics. I want to hear from each of you, what brought you to work at the Schumacher Center? What animates you about this work? And what do you find most interesting and inspiring about Schumacher as a thinker and someone who's you know, obviously inspired you to, to take a really interesting position and bring his message to more people? Yeah, so part of the work at the Schumacher Center is to apply the concepts of small is beautiful and human skill economics in place so that they can be broadly replicated elsewhere. And so I grew up here in the region and it inspired me to see initiatives like the Berkshire's Local Currency Program and the Community Land Trust Model to organize community and talk about the elements of cooperativism and decision-making at a local level. And so I came to the Schumacher Center having studied agriculture and community food-based systems with the intention of really digging deep in place. And we also look to Wendell Berry as someone who is quite um, influential to our work. And he really calls for this idea of a homecoming. And so returning to place and digging in and getting involved. Wonderful. How about you, Jared? So I'm newer to the center and I'm actually not from the area originally. I grew up around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so my interest, again, just kind of rethinking the culture that surrounds our current political economy, just kind of rethinking or second guessing a lot of the assumptions I think that I was given in my formal education and up through university. And then as as Rachel said, the Schumacher Center is about applying these concepts locally for broad replication. So in thinking about how to enact change, thinking about why change isn't coming from places like Washington and how it can actually be enacted and and how citizens can play a more active role 
that was the Schumacher Center was a beacon for that and was, yeah, I was just lucky enough to, to find them at the time that they were expanding to add more communications capabilities to the center. So that's excellent. As, as we're so hyper-focused on Washington all the time, there's just need for more and more thinking about our local communities where we've been planted. We need to grow and flourish and help those places grow and flourish as well. We should probably define our terms a little bit more, such as human scale economics. The idea of a new economics or human scale economics is really in contrast to, again, what's kind of been the mainstream uh, economics in the United States and other Western countries, especially since the 70s and the 80s. We're sort of presented economics as an abstract science that is the domain of elites that regular people shouldn't really try to understand. And part of that is, is the reality of how complex it has grown over time and how it is managed actively. Certain aspects are managed by government entities like the Federal Reserve and so on. And so typically when people think about the economy, they are thinking about things that they might have seen in the news that might be related to the, the stock market. You know, is the economy doing well or is it not doing well? And I think we just approach it from a very different perspective as E.F. Schumacher and, and other thinkers who have, who have come since have done, which is essentially to think about it first and foremost as producing the goods and services that we need in harmony with the planet to create the society that we want to create. So when you're able to sort of start from the bottom and from those building blocks and think upwards, again, we, we see opportunity there for folks who can kind of gather around and, and work at a scale where you can really get your hands around the problems that exist in a community or the opportunities that exist for making use of the natural resources that exist in place and to create solutions from there. Yeah, and I would say that part of our work is demystifying economics, and you hear the term new economics, but it's really an old concept, you know, decentralism and human scale, those are all the same words, and what it really means is working within community and at that appropriate scale, to use a Schumacher term, to, as Jared said, kind of develop the skills and tools within community as contrasted with dominant economic systems. So the work around the Schumacher Center with local currencies and community land trusts are identifying how people can be involved with thinking about how money is issued and how land is held in commons and ultimately organizing them as membership-based, democratically structured nonprofit organizations. Is one way of thinking about it maybe a move away from economics as a fundamentally technocratic numbers game of the elites and more about the ethics of right relationships between people when it comes to the use of goods and resources? So in other words, a paradigm shift from economics as science to economics as ethics. Does that resonate? I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. Obviously, it's a complicated question, but E.F. Schumacher himself said that statistics never prove anything. And I think similarly, he had a, a similar thrust towards understanding that economics is, is first and foremost, not about numbers, models, statistical analyses, but again, it's about the human skills, as Rachel mentioned, and the kind of relationships that exist within a place and that interact with the environment, which is really the source of, of all of the goods that we think of when we think of a modern economy and all of the, the goods and services that it provides. We're speaking with Rachel Moriarty and Jared Spears in the Schumacher Center for New Economics. We're talking about the thought of E.F. Schumacher and how it might apply today to thinking about difficult economic questions. Rachel and Jared, you know, one thing that comes to mind is the way in which Catholic social teaching frames 
economic matters and issues of the use of resources and distributive justice from the standpoint of how do these things serve the well-being of the person, of communities, of families, of the broader society as a whole? When we talk about the way in which our economy is functioning today, how is it or is it not serving the well-being of the cause of human flourishing? And why do we need to make a change perhaps to shift to a more human scale or localized economic system? Here, you know, we sort of think of economics as at heart, it's nothing more than human ingenuity, you know, organizing our own labor to glean those products for one another from the natural world. And that activity, it can be dignifying of people, it can dignify land, uh, it can dignify community, or it can degrade it. I think especially in that period, uh, 1972, there was a study published called Limits to Growth, and that was published by a number of scholars and researchers in Rome. And they were basically looking at the finite limits of the whole world environment and essentially Mm -hmm. saying, if we continue down this trajectory, it's not sustainable. There's only so much of the pollution and carbon emissions, et cetera, that that the planet can take. And obviously, E.F. Schumacher took that to heart. And also, as the decade of the 1970s went on, folks who were around at that time will remember the oil crises and basically having to uh, ration fuel at the gas station and all these kinds of things. And, and that was really a dark, scary time, I think, for a lot of people in their everyday lives, right? And sort of realizing and bringing this lesson home that maybe there were finite limits on the planet. So that was that period around peak oil where thinkers like E.F. Schumacher, we sort of remember them and associate them with that time. And we know the fears around peak oil didn't pan out the way that they had discussed. But I think for a long time, that was sort of used as a reason to discard or disparage them and to say that this ecologically centered way of thinking about economics isn't really relevant to the modern world. But if you actually look at the realities of what that's meant in terms of fossil fuels in large agricultural systems, in terms of drilling deeper and deeper for things like shale and and tar sands, you know, we've essentially really can just continue to push the limit in a way that's clearly not sustainable for the planet and that isn't necessarily dignifying to to people, land, and community, but is in fact quite degrading. So maybe Rachel wants to build on any of that. Well, I I think the idea of coming back to community is important, particularly in a a time of right now looking at COVID and how it's been so easy to turn to Amazon to get um, all of your packages and your necessities um, while sitting at home. But if you think about the implications to your community on those decisions, it really starts to degrade the, the social fabric. And so by coming back to engaging in community, you're really helping to build the transparency that is necessary for sustaining the sorts of dynamics that we we hope to see and that are reinforcing of each other and allow us to live in harmony, I guess. Boy, human scale economics, if it means anything, it must mean that economic activity should be focused on humans <laughs> and human interactions, right? As opposed to an impersonal mm-hmm. process where, you know, you can even have a drone deliver something or something dropped off in a locker that you pick up at the LA fitness. I go, when I go to work out, I see the Amazon locker and the LA fitness and you don't have to deal with anybody. It's just all, you know, click, click, click and pick up, you know? So Rachel, tell me more about, you know, the practical things that EF Schumacher is proposing and you're involved in local currency. What does that even mean? And how's that, how does that work? I think that, I think that is a paradigm shift for a lot of people. At the Schumacher center, we have these tools that we 
develop and then advocate for broader use. And so with our local currency program, it's a really sophisticated educational tool to encourage people to shop locally, support their businesses, support the people in their communities, and then thus building that more transparent supply chain. I think Jared said before, Schumacher said, the most rational way to organize a community is to produce locally for local consumption. And so thinking about these opportunities for import replacement and looking at what we are currently importing and what we could be producing locally is another element of what a local currency allows us to do. And then on the community land trust side, you know, we are actually holding land in a commons and then allowing the use for community members, whether it be for workforce housing, affordable housing, but also land for farmers, and then also manufacturing space, because I think we often forget that in order to have more of an import replacement economics that we need to be looking at how things are made, but on what kind of land that infrastructure exists. And so all of these initiatives are reliant on the feedback of local people involved in consuming and developing these products as well. So we have a lot of exciting things going on here in the Berkshires. And so we've received some great media attention for that. And we just hope that our tools can be utilized in other communities so that they can help to build their local economies as well. The local economies, sustaining right relationships, real interactions with people, cutting down on the climate footprint because of the lack of shipping and other things, maybe use making use of natural and local materials, as opposed to promoting a broader consumption culture. Sounds really exciting. Rachel, we know that, you know, money is just a medium of exchange, right? That's all it is. The U.S. dollar is worthless as a piece of paper, except for it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. How does the local currency work? Just give us the the, the technical piece that is it just a trust-based system that when you're a store in the Berkshires, you take a Berkshire as a piece of currency or as a medium of exchange, it's just a trust system and a consortium of people getting together and saying, this is the, the medium of exchange that we're going to use to trade goods and services. Or what's t- Tell us about the technical aspect of that local concert currency. Sure. So the Berkshires are tied to the U.S. dollars. So when somebody wants to get Berkshires in a paper form or in the new digital form that we're launching later this month, they tie their bank account to the system. So you hand over $100, you get 100 Berkshires back, and then you spend those within the local economy. There are about 400 participating businesses, and then those businesses continue to circulate the currency to procure goods and services for their own business, or they can always cash out and redeem it back to US dollars. But at that point, money can then exit the system. So the idea with the local currency is that we're capturing the money, keeping it locally. But what's really unique about our local currency is that the U.S. cash reserves are held with local community banks. And so those community banks can then lend that money to small businesses, to first-time home buyers, people who are active in our community. And so it's enabling greater investment in, in the region. And I'm I'm looking at the letter that the Schumacher Center sent out about the new economics and what that might mean, and a a bunch of bold, really a bold vision. And I want to talk a little bit more about that with you and unpack some of what this might look like beyond the community land trust and the local currency. In particular, a topic we haven't addressed on this show, blockchain. Blockchain technology will revolutionize the way transactions are made, this letter says. Contracts are written and records are stored. Its character can be speculative. Or we can harness blockchain to support local currencies, community banks, 
foster more local trade and in the process identify opportunities for import replacement. Some things you've already mentioned, Rachel. What is blockchain technology and why is that part of the new economics? Blockchain technology is essentially a distributed ledger. It enables applications in finance and record keeping and bookkeeping and uh, kind of contract and negotiations. There are a lot of different applications for it, but essentially it's, it's taking a process that once needed to rely on one single computer or computer server and essentially enables individuals or you know, many different machines or computers to be able to kind of validate live transactions over time. Nowadays, it's hard to miss blockchain being associated with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the most popular application of blockchain. I think there, there are also you know, folks out there and, and different kind of initiatives that are trying to um, look at this new technology and uh, figure out how to apply it in a way that, again, um, is sort of in line with uh, the limits uh, of our planet and, and the values that we've been talking about of, a, of an economics where people matter. And so one of the example that we're most excited about here is Berkshire's, as Rachel mentioned, the local currency, and essentially being able to augment that paper currency that's existed since 2006 with a digital payment app. So if you've ever used Venmo or PayPal, you know, that's a kind of digital payment application. These things have really taken hold in our lives, especially since COVID. And they're the product in in many cases of centralized interests, one corporation with their shareholders. Whereas what we're you know, looking at doing with our partner Humanity Cash, which is a social enterprise startup working in the blockchain space, uh, is to create an application for blockchain that powers local currency, that where people have you know, more control and a, and a say in how it works. And so with having a local currency on the blockchain, it, it basically ena- enables us to offer small businesses that same kind of payment processing and digital contactless payment. Um, that you would get from some of those other bigger players, but in a way that's you know cost effective and also decentralized. The other sort of issue that folks raise with blockchain has to do with where that action is happening in terms of that computing power. And there's two different kinds of blockchains. One is called proof of stake and another is called proof of work. One does happen to be really energy intensive. And so there's a lot of good and serious questioning of, of how sustainable that is and how that fits in you know, with an economics where people and planet matter, we use the other version, which is much less resource intensive. In the agenda that I received here that talks about less reliance on fossil fuels, more localized economy, we've talked about some of those things already, and the importance of right relationships. And it says consumers and producers will join together. Tell us more about what you think that looks like. So if you think about the community-supported agriculture model in which people uh, give a portion of their funds towards a CSA share, and then they can redeem that in vegetables throughout the summer. That's an opportunity in which consumers are working with the producers. So we like to think of that expanded as community-supported industry. And so is there a way to that idea of import replacement where we can be identifying the goods that we currently import to our region that we can be producing locally. So for example, here in the Berkshires, we have hillsides full of apple trees. And is there a way that we could be turning those apples into applesauce, which is then used at the local hospitals and healthcare facilities? Another opportunity is using the hardwood forest to produce furniture at a small appropriate scale for local consumption. And so thinking about how we can be um, a little bit more intentional about our purchases 
and production. So with that community-supported industry idea in mind, we are facilitating a conversation around the importance of local economic transparency. And community-supported industry is an extension of an idea that was also incubated right here in the Berkshires of community-supported agriculture, which some of your listeners Mm -hmm. might recognize. For sure. Um, Yeah. And so it's essentially just looking at that same model of saying, how can we sort of anticipate or or even guarantee in, in a community sense the demand for a new economic venture and support an individual or a group, folks who want to take on sort of enterprising that new venture. And that's worked in agriculture. That model has spread from the Berkshires throughout the, the country and the world. We know that there's sort of aspects of farming that make that a, a really simple, kind of easy to get your head around, but there's no reason why that same model couldn't work with some of the more complicated processes um, in production that Rachel's talking about. When you marry that with concepts from E.F. Schumacher's work, like appropriate scale technology and thinking about how to make things in a simple way that doesn't rely on fossil fuels or expensive parts coming from around the world. Again, you can start to sort of think of these things on a human scale where we can really wrap our heads around how to create new industries and produce new goods in a given region. Wonderful. One of the principles on this letter I received, it says, old accumulated wealth will not remain stagnant in a regime of the new economics. What does that mean? And unpack that for us, please. So the idea that we have these foundations that have acquired their wealth and are essentially giving away the interest that they earn on these funds. And so we're actually calling for um, the bulk of these funds to be distributed, to be activated. You may have heard that many foundations are in the process of sunsetting. So Mm -hmm. kind of spending down their reserves and we want to see more of that happen so that there's more money working within the system, enabling people to do the good work that they are doing. Are there one or two political changes? I mean, a lot of this is driven by people's consumer habits and consumer choices and try desiring to start relationships and live a different way, but are there one or two things that you suggest at the political level to start bringing some of a more human scale economics about, especially at the state or local level? And the center really focuses on what citizen-led change can happen. There are other sort of sister organizations that promote a new economics that work on policy at various levels. Generally, we tend to think about first and foremost, again, people and communities rediscovering their sense of agency regarding mm-hmm. to economics. And then from there, once that movement and and the sort of direction is going in some of these things that we've been talking about with land trusts or local currencies or community-supported industry, hopefully then the job of of local policy is just A, not to get in the way, and then B, to figure out how we can sort of enable and empower people uh, to do that. How can faith communities activate their own persons or work as a congregation to get more active and engage with this at a communal level, not just perhaps at an individual consumption or consumer choice level? We've seen a sort of a rise in recent years as a growing national movement, um, sometimes labeled the faith lands movement, uh, to connect and inspire different faith communities to use their land in new ways, to make it productive, promote ecological and human health. So being able to essentially uh, either donate or manage their land um, to be able to support things like local farming, pollinator gardens, even thinking about reparative racial justice, and just as a way to strengthen community. So I would encourage them to, to think, to look into the Faithlands movement uh, and think about, you know, if you are part of a, a faith community that does hold land, how do you make that land productive and responsible for your community? 
It's a bold vision and certainly ties in well with Catholic social teaching and some of its principles about an economy that serves the well-being of the human person. So thanks for unpacking E.F. Schumacher's thought, and thanks for sharing the ways in which you're trying to apply that, especially in Western Massachusetts and the local community there. Rachel and Jared, where can people go to learn more about your work and the work of the Schumacher Center for New Economics? At our website, uh, centerforneweconomics.org. They can also go uh, online and search for a copy of Small is Beautiful, and they can learn more about E.F. Schumacher that way. Our website is a repository of information, so you can find how-tos to implement your own local currency or community land trust. You can find lectures from our 40-year-old lecture series. Um, And then you can also search the catalogs of our library, including E.F. Schumacher's personal uh, collection as well. Wonderful. I need to make a pilgrimage to Western Massachusetts to dig through the collect the personal papers of E.F. Schumacher, someone who's been hugely influential on my thinking. So Rachel Moriarty, Jared Spears, thanks so much for sharing with us your wisdom and the good work that you're doing in Western Massachusetts. And we wish you blessings in your work. And we'll be back in a moment with our practical tip of the week. Welcome back to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, and now it's time to turn to our producer, Kit Zapiniak, for our tip of the week. Yeah, so now that the Easter season is around, we think it's probably the perfect time that we ought to be praying for our elected officials, praying for our legislators as they're making decisions throughout this legislative session. And we've actually created an action alert in our action center where you can easily send them a message, letting them know that you're praying for them. And while you're in our Action Center, which is mncatholic.org forward slash Action Center, you can check out all our other action alerts that we have posted throughout the legislative session. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, a practical tip for you to live faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins of the Kids Pediac of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day.